Okay, Saints, Matthew chapter 6. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we come to you, and as always, we're in awe of how you have represented your heart, how you've represented your will, how you've represented your kingdom. As we're looking at this, the constitution of the king, we're seeing so many things and where you've corrected theology and you've dealt with those areas, Lord, that are um, truly those things that are standards for righteousness. You have pointed out those disciplines and yet you continue to teach. You continue to show us where our hearts need to be. And so we ask that very simply, that you, Lord, would move our hearts and move our minds and direct us that you through your spirit that you would give us ears to hear what you desire to speak to us um, your children we ask this in jesus name and all the saints of god said amen. amen all right we are in matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 19 what i want to do is a little bit different i want to actually read through this passage and then we'll just jump into the to the study so Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one, verse 24, can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all these things that the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We're looking at this portion of scripture, and so often, the, if you have like 
headers of your um, over passages. Mine in my Bible says wealth, and, and I think that's in a sense an error. Um, I would say that if you're going to look for a title of what this passage is, it would be more not about wealth, but it would be your desires. What are your desires? And so as we look to this, there's all these areas of having desires, the, the, the treasures on earth. Do you desire the things of the earth or do you desire the treasures in heaven? Do you, um, you know, desire, you know, as, as far as letting the, your eye look at things and lust after things, is that your desire? And um, or else are you desiring the food? Are you desiring the drink? Are you desiring the clothes? All these things if you want to, to look at it, would be desire. So if you want a heading for tonight, it's not going to be simply wealth, but, but put this as your note. Put it desires. And that's what we're going to develop here this evening as we're looking to these um, to the, the whole area. So what we're looking at is the things that are temporary versus permanent initially, where he talks about the treasures on earth, where the moth and the rust destroy, the thieves break in and steal. Temporary, And then you have those more permanent, the treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in the steel. So you see you have this thing. Do you desire the temporary? Do you desire the permanent? What are you looking at? The here and now, something that's for a momentary gain? Are you looking for it down the road? Something that's for even a greater gain, an eternal gain. And so that's what we're seeing here. Now, initially, when it comes to this area of desires, one of the things that works well for desires is a term you all know. It's called contentment. Now, it's one of those things where if you're content, then all of a sudden, when these other things come down the road, you don't have a, a tendency to want to desire them. They may be okay, but if you're not content, all of a sudden, these things amplify in your mind and in your heart. Let me give you an example. Let's just say that you're thinking about, you know, going down to Chick-fil-A and you're getting, you know, just a, a good salad and, and you're, you know, one of those Southwest salads, the spicy ones, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, that sounds so good. But think about it. If you just got done eating a Thanksgiving dinner and someone says, hey, let's go down to Chick-fil-A, like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm pretty content right now. I've, I've, I've satisfied what I've needed to satisfy. That no longer has that pull. So keep in mind that we're, we're looking at just that area of food, but it works with everything. If you're satisfied, then you're not looking elsewhere. And this is huge to realize that, that when it comes to satisfaction, when it comes to contentment, that's going to really stop the enemy from getting a foothold in your mind and in your heart. When you're satisfied in your marriage, you're satisfied with your spouse. You're not looking elsewhere. You're not looking for satisfaction somewhere else. When you're, when you're satisfied in your devotions and you're satisfied in your prayer, you're not looking for other things like, oh, do I need this book? Do I need that book? No, I'm just, I'm, God is talking to me. I'm talking to God. We're doing really well. I don't need all these other things. But that's satisfaction. That's contentment. So as we look to this, there's just a couple of ground verses that I want to give you as far as, you know, being satisfied and being contentment. The first that I want you to jot down for you note takers is found in Genesis 33. If you remember that passage that we went through as we went through Genesis, this is where Esau comes and he meets Jacob when he comes back to the land. And there they have this wonderful, rousing conversation. And what I want to do is share with you just the, the, the brunt of what I 
that conversation meant to me and in my own heart. Where initially in Genesis 33, I want to read to you verses 5, 9, and 11. Um, 9 and 11 are going to be basically the same thing, but it's Esau saying it, Jacob saying it. But in verse 5, and he lifted his eyes and he saw the women and the children. He said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. I'm blessed by God. And I want you to realize that that's what we looked at when we hear, I am blessed by God. God graciously has given me this. Well, in verse 9, where he says, I, I want to give you all this stuff. But Esau said in verse 9, I have enough. Keep what you have for yourself. And then in verse 11, it, it's funny because here Jacob says, well, please take my blessing that is brought to you. Because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough, so he urged him and he took it. Now, we were noting how, when we went through this passage, how Jacob had constantly referred to the Lord, referred to the Lord. God gave me the children. God's given me enough. And Esau says, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But it was interesting at the end, Esau said, oh, I'll take a little bit more. That's all right. I have no problem with that. But it's about being satisfied. And both of them said, I have enough. However, Jacob said, my sufficiency, my blessings have come from God. And Esau simply says, oh, I'm good. I've, I've got enough. You know, I'm, I'm all right. But I think what's unique is when it comes to the scriptures that where Paul, I want to read to you one in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. And this is Paul. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state that I am in to be content. Now, of course, he's not talking as far as, you know, California versus Wisconsin. He's not talking about, you know, Boston versus Wisconsin. He's saying the state of life that I'm in, not the state that I'm in. And so he's saying, wherever I am, I've learned to be content. Paul says, I've learned to abound, I've learned to abase, and, and that's where it is. And Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So it's about being content. And I love what Paul says. He says, I just, in, in every point, he says, I've learned to be content. When Paul was writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he makes this statement to him. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just godliness is great gain, but godliness, and then you're just content. Because once your desires begin to shift, once your desires begin to move, and we'll be looking at that just in a moment, with some warning signs when it comes to those areas of your desires. The other passage that I want to share with you is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Let me read to you verse 5. And it's just a, a, a beautiful picture, a beautiful understanding, but it declares this. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he says, God is going to supply what you need. And so with you, let your conduct be without always wanting more and always wanting more. Be content with the things that you have. And I think that this is where that whole understanding of contentment really begins to settle in our minds. 
Now, the key being is when you're looking at contentment, don't leave the very first reference that we gave back in Genesis 33. When you realize that God has given me, God has given me, God has given me, you realize, you know what, Lord? You know what I need. And if you've given me this, it's enough. And if you haven't given me this, what? Then it's still enough. I know that you give me exactly what I need and how I need. And so when I realize that it's God is the one who's giving, there's this contentment. But as soon as it's not God who's giving, like Esau, now I've got and I've got and I've got and I've got enough. But then it's like, ah, but I could use a little bit more. There's nothing wrong with a little bit more when I'm the one who does what? I'm the one who strives for it. I'm the one who works for it. Versus, God, you've given me this. I'm a steward over this. It's all yours. And so I'm going to be pursuing, and I love the heart of it, I'm going to be seeking your kingdom first. I'm going to be seeking your righteousness. I'm a steward over all these things. Now the warning comes when all of a sudden that whole area of contentment and that covetousness begins to grow. Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Your life isn't measured on God's scale by what you have. Your life is measured on God's scale by what? <laughs> Your heart is with him. How much Jesus you have in you. That's the scale that God has. How close are you? Now keep in mind, there's a term that says that the ground is level at the cross. No one's on a little hill or everyone's level. However, the beautiful thing about this is sort of like the menorah, there are some candles that are closer to the center. They're, the ground is level, but there's some people who are really, really close to the cross. And others are like, I, I can still see it from here. We're still good. The ground is level. We're all the same. But some have that, that closer, more intimate, aware of what's happening there. And I love the Lord because he says, beware of covetousness. And there's a real warning when it comes to those things. There's three passages. We've looked at them before. And I think it's important for us to once again be reminded of what they are. I'm going to go backwards to forwards in these three just as we look at them. The first is, will, is going to be in 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. The second one is going to be Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3. And the third is going to be Genesis 3, 6. And they say basically the same thing with some nuanced differences. But let me start by reading in 1 John uh, chapter 2. In chapter 2 of 1 John, verse 15 and 15, 15 and 16, he says, do not, lay, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, in verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, it says, The lust of the flesh, mm -hmm. the lust of the eyes, mm -hmm. and the pride of life. These are three things that, of course, we're going to be looking at when we, of course, when we get back to Genesis 3 6, where you know, Eve sees that, that fruit. But I want you to understand these are three things that are characterized the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're going to see these things here in our text. The other part of 
a similarity when it comes to these things is found in Ephesians 2. Now, in Ephesians 2, verse 2 and 3, it makes this statement, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. He's mentioning three things in these two passages. He's mentioning the, the world, he's mentioning the flesh, and of course he'll be mentioning the Satan, that we're, we're children of wrath, we're, we're the, the children of him, the enemy. And so we're seeing here that this lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and then you have these other three within the category, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now those three are all basically synonymous. So when you have the, 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 the lust of the flesh, you're dealing with um, the world. The lust of the eyes, you're dealing with here um, your, your, your flesh. And then, of course, when you have the pride of life, that Satan, he was the one who ultimately was the one who was so prideful and lifted up. Now, it initiated, these three things were initiated back in our text when we were in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where when the woman saw the tree, it was good for food, the flesh, that was pleasant to the eyes, to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. And so you have these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And these three things are synonymous, and you will find them over and over and over in the Scripture, always dealing with the three things. So you have your, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, when he comes into this area in verses 19 through 21, he's going to be talking about physical desires. And these are the things where it's stuff, it's covetousness. And so it's the things of the world, how the world is so glittery, the world is so shiny. All these things barter for your attention. If I could only have that, I would be happy. And isn't that how the ads go? If you really want to be happy, you have to have this. And if you have this and you really, really want to be happy, you have to have this brand. That's how it works. And so you're, you're, you're caught up in these things. And so in verses 19 through 21, you have the physical desires of covetousness. You're looking at the world. From verses 22 to verse 23, we're going to see these fleshly desires the things that go through the eyes, those are the lusts. And then in verse 24, we're going to see this whole, under, under the spiritual desires of serving God or mammon. So you're going to have the world, the flesh, and the devil in these three things. We're also going to see that when it comes into verse 25, where he says, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. These same these three themes will be coming back because you have in that one point where the things I want to eat, the lust of the flesh, the things that I want to drink, and, and we'll, we'll be looking at that with a passage in Proverbs, how would your eyes see 
and he talks about be careful that you don't you know look long at the wine or something but it's it's that that lusting of your eyes and then of course the things that you would put on well there you have the pride of life oh look at this great you know new shirt that I buy oh check out my kicks you know look at these shoes I mean how many people can can spend a hundred dollars on a pair of shoes plus you know, because this is the new shoe. This is, you know, when Michael Jordan first came out and the Jordan Airs, the, they couldn't keep up with the demand and the, everyone wanted these shoes. And, you know, one day I will find one in Goodwill and I'll buy a pair just to say, yeah, I, I, I got Michael Airs, so that's fine too. But you understand that it's a name. It's a thing that you want. And these are the things where you see that what you put on becomes a thing of pride. It becomes, look at me, look at me. And, and so we're going to see these three things over and over within this passage. And so I wanted to give you the, the foundation so that now as we go into the study that more and more you'll begin to see and we'll, we'll reference them, but we won't dive into them because you already understand the foundation. So it begins initially, as we see here with your desires, um, do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven or treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So as we're seeing this, where, where are your desires? And this whole area of that term treasures means um, it's, it's deposits, it's, it's where you find, and it's not necessarily always just wealth. But it has to do with, with what you put in as far as your deposits. And then it can be wealth. It can be stuff. We have a tendency if we can multiply all kinds of things. We don't just have to multiply money. There are some people who do multiply money. But there's others who multiply cars or some who multiply toys or some who multiply electronics. But we all have these things where one isn't enough. We have to have backups and backups of our backups and then backups of our backups, backups, just in case something goes wrong. And, and the one that I have right now is outdated by at least a year. So we have to amp it up and get something a little bit more. And it's always this rush for something more. So these treasures is not necessarily just money, but the treasures is all kinds of things that you say, um, they can be items as well. How do we know? Well, because moths don't eat coins. Moths don't eat, you know, um, dollar bills. So we see here that there and, and the, the rust doesn't, you know, destroy a dollar bill. So you have things that you're looking at. So it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth, the rust, the thieves, um, where it now becomes a very temporary thing. So no matter what it is that you own, eventually it's going to come to nothing. Just know that. Um, heaven and earth is going to pass away. However, everything that you put forward into heaven, all the things that you send ahead, those things are eternal. Those things are permanent. Which is why he says in verse 20, after he talks about this temporary desires, he says, make your desires permanent. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So it's about wanting and desiring the heavenly wealth, the heavenly rewards. And so, in other words, don't put your deposits here on earth where they're going to disappear. 
and they're going to be no more. Put your deposits in heaven where they're eternal. And as we're going to look at this in a little bit moment because it is important to realize that there are certain ways that you can take the things that are here of the world and move them to heaven by your actions and how you do it. Um, in other words, when you give to the needy, when you bless those that are, are not as well off, those are the things where as God leads you and you're used as a steward and he, you know, he's going to bless you eternally for those things. So you're just giving up the temporary things for the permanent things. So we see initially that when it comes to the area of the physical desires, and that's where we talked about it's the stuff, it's the covetousness, it is the things of the world, and the world always wants to draw your attention. But here the Lord is very clear. Don't worry about the worldly things, worry about the heavenly things. That should be your heart, that should be your desire. He concludes it in verse 21 by saying, very simply, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice he doesn't say the reverse. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. He doesn't say that. He says, you can know where your heart is. See, we deceive ourselves and thinking, oh, my heart's with God. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, if I take a list of the things that I have and how important they are to me, can I say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord? Or is it, oh, no, no. The Lord gives, and then the Lord gives a little bit more, and the Lord gives a little bit more, and then blessed be the name of the Lord. That was a huge movement in the church a few years back, and there's still some lingering of it going on. It was called the, the whole area of wealth. It was called name it and claim it. It was where if you had faith, God was going to prosper you, and that was the whole movement that was going on within the church. But he says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it isn't where you can guess. You can actually do a physical inventory of where are my treasures. And whatever the treasures are, you realize that that's where your heart is. And so keep in mind that there are all kinds of things that can be treasures when I need a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. There was a point early on in my walk and I was just growing exponentially in, in the, um, my studies and I was growing and then all of a sudden I realized that um, I needed some study tools and I needed a strong concordance and I needed then um, a good Bible dictionary and then there was always something more and there was always something more like oh and then there's this commentary set if I could just get that kind of really help me understand as I'm trying to grasp onto certain things and and I thought it would help guide me. But it was interesting that within my library, there was always a little bit more and always a little bit more and always a little bit more. And the blessing is, is I've been through my library. Um, there's one commentary set I haven't read completely. That's the pulpit commentary set. And that's, um, I've used it for referencing, um, but I've never yet sat down and read it. But if the Lord delays one of these days, I'll just sit down and I'll read that one as well. And I'll check that one off my list. But God has been good because if he's given me a book, I've, I've devoured them. I've read them. But there was always another. There was always another. And, and so I had to be careful. Where's my treasures? My treasure in those or my treasure in this? And, you know, they were, they were tools. They were, you know, guides. And I was very gr grateful to the Lord that he always kept my mindset that this is the truth. Those are guides. And so, um, but to some people, they can become more than that. 
And there were moments where I was on a fine line. I was on a fine line. And you're thinking, well, how could wanting a commentary be a bad thing? Well, if, if that becomes my desire more than just sitting down with God, and you know, because so often that knowledge does what? It puffs up. Love edifies. And when you're sitting close to God, you just love Him. And He's going to show you things. But if you're always pursuing knowledge, always pursuing knowledge, we're not necessarily pursuing the love of the Lord because I want to know more and I want to know more. It's in that knowledge that we begin to be puffed up. And so we see here, and it's so important to make that note that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a blanket statement. It's one of those that are factual and you can't say, well, my treasure is here and I have all this stuff, but my heart's really with God. He says, no, you're, you're in error. You're, you're, you're thinking it is, but it's not. So that verse in verse 21 is just an inventory verse on where to be and, and how to um, work that through. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 that I want to share with you. It declares this. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And it's important to note that here it is. We look to faith. We look to the things of God and the things that he wants us to do. That's the heart that we see. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you looking for the things that are seen? Are you looking for the things that are unseen? Now in verse 22, he deals with the lamp. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? When he talks about the lamp, as he's going through this whole area, as we see that lamp, there's a, a passage, and I want to share it with you. In Proverbs chapter 28, I want to read to you verse 22. Proverbs 28, verse 22, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. He talks about here this man that is the evil eyes. I want riches, I want riches, I want riches, I want more, I want more, I want more. And through this, we're going to jump back to that passage that we only read the tail end of or the beginning of. But in the Gospel of Luke and through this, I want to read verse 15 through 21 at this point. Because he said, Then take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, Verse 16, The ground of a certain man, a certain rich man, yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. 
And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up for himself treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Again, we see this man. He's a rich man. He has an incredible bumper harvest. But he makes this statement and he says, and I want you to see here, verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. And so we see here that, that through this, he says in verse 18, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, build greater, greater barns, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. Do you see that it was here, he was just treasures for himself, treasures for himself. That he wasn't saying, wow, Lord, you know, you've, you've blessed me with this. I'm a steward of it. What do you want to do with it? But it was, oh no, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. And so I can now take my ease because I've done all that I needed to do. Understand, that's the difference of Jacob being content and Esau saying, I'm content. All of Jacob's blessing, he recognized that God is God. Esau, it was just me, I'm okay. And so with him and his contentment, he still desired, yeah, I'll take some more. And this is what we're seeing here, that when your eye begins to look, when your eye begins to um, want more and more. I want to share with you a passage in dealing with the eye and dealing with that whole area of darkness. We, we cover that one in Proverbs 28. There's another one that deals with it, and I want to share it with you, because when it comes to this area of the eye, um, in Proverbs chapter 23, beginning in verse 30 and 31, he said, those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red and when it sparkles in the cup. The eye is always looking. The eye is always looking. He says, be careful because there's a certain part when that wine is going to do what? It's going to minister to me. It's going to affect me. It's only for me. And you begin, your eye is saying, how is this going to deal with me? And we've already looked at that area where we saw here initially the, the physical desires of the world in verses 19 through 21. We're seeing here these fleshly desires and now in verse 20, you know, in verse 22 and verse 23, we're seeing how the things of the eyes bring things in. And it's for me. It's for, it's not the world doing it, but it's my flesh longing for it. There's three things in where we normally realize that we're tempted. We're tempted by the world with all the glitter. We're tempted by our own flesh and my own flesh longs for a thing. And we're also tempted by the devil and he will tempt us. However, what's interesting is most Christians say, the devil made me do it. I don't know if you ever heard that. The devil made me do it. I was tempted by the Satan. And, and I don't doubt that that's true, but I found personally in my life, and if you really do a check in your own life, 
In my life personally, my drifting is probably 95% flesh. 4% world, maybe 4.9% world, and maybe 0.1% the enemy. My flesh just wants stuff. And I don't need the world to defeat it. It does, but my flesh just wants stuff. And the enemy really doesn't have to tempt me because my flesh just wants it anyways. And this is what we begin to see. Your, your, the, the worldly things, all the things that you're laying up treasures, laying up treasures, I need this, I need this, I need this. And those are all going to go. But then your eye sees things and your eyes goes, how is this going to minister to me? How is this going to benefit me? And so like that one guy says, all these are my goods and my crops and my soul. Just take its ease. Understand, it's still God's soul. Everything was God. You're a steward of everything that you have. And so we begin to see here this area of that lamp being the eyes, the things that you long for, the things that you do, that area of the flesh. So let me read through it one more time because he says in verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. This is where the light comes in. And if you're you know, aware, this is where light comes into your body. Sound comes in through your ears. Light comes in through your eyes. Now, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If the things that you're desiring are God, Jesus says what? I am the light. If you're desiring him, you're, you're just getting light. You're getting Jesus. Your whole body will be full. However, he then goes on to say, but if your eye is bad, if you're desiring other things, not of heaven, but if you're desiring things for you, and that's why we go back to verse 33, and we'll cover this many times this evening. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added. What's your pursuit? Now understand, there are going to be things that are, be, are going to be given to you as a steward, but what is your pursuit? And this all boils down to what? What is your greatest desire? Is my greatest desire to draw close to God? Or is my greatest desire like, well, I'll, I'll get around to God, but I really want the stuff. This is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to make me content. And you know as well as I do that when you get something new, it's going to be pleasurable for a season, but then eventually what happens? Well, then it's not new anymore. Eventually, you know, think about this. Go down to a junkyard for a while. And, and just, just hang out in the junkyard and hang out in, in one of those areas where you have a junkyard with a bunch of cars. And as you stand there outside that junkyard, look in and realize at one point in time, every one of those cars were new and shiny and the desire of the owner. And eventually every one of them are going to be crushed into this little kind of metal cube. That's it. But every one of those cars was a desire and a dream and a blessing. And to be honest, we could go back outside and there's going to be all kinds of cars. And I'll be honest, every one of those will eventually be a little cube down the road. It may not be now, but it's going to be. And so we see here that if your eye is bad, if you're longing for the things of the world and you're not looking to the light, he goes on and says, then your whole body will be full of darkness. You're either allowing Christ the light in or you're allowing other things in. And you're going to be basically pushing out the light. 
there's going to be no room for light because you have all these other things as your flesh is wanting to say, I want, you know, these are my goods and my stuff and my needs and my soul is satisfied. God says, be satisfied in me. And if you're satisfied in me, all these other things are going to come. So he says, if that light, in verse 23, that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's one of those things where it's a truth, you can't avoid it. So when you are looking for stuff and you're looking for stuff and you're you know, feeding into the lust of your flesh, the lust of your flesh and all those things that you want, all your fleshly desires and you're feeding your fleshly desires, sometimes you can feed them with things, but other times you're feeding it to say, I want this, I want this, this will minister to me. Sort of like the one who looked at the long, long at the wine. It's like, oh, this is going to just relax me. This is going to comfort me. This is going to, you know, mellow me out. He goes on to say now in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And he makes this point when he talks about the light and the darkness. He talks about, you know, you here, you can't serve God and mammon. Think about this for just a second. You can't have two masters. And I'm going to make it really easy for us. Remember the children of Israel as they were, you know, coming to the promised land. One of the things that they were faced with was a deity, a demonic entity, an idol called Baal. They were the children of God, and they were pursuing Baal. They were looking into Baal. And what happened as soon as they began to look into Baal? They were already an heir. You can't love one and even begin to pursue another. You realize that as soon as the children of Israel took their eyes off the Lord and to look to Baal and say, oh, he's a little different. He's a little new. And the Baals and the asterisks were now the, the new thing. They were the, the fancy thing. This was the in thing. And as soon as they took their eyes off the Lord, guess what? They no longer loved the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul. When they saw something that was foreign, it's like, I'm satisfied in God. I want none of this. My satisfaction is in God and in God alone. But what they did is they began to pursue something else. And this is what he's saying in verse 24. Although he's not saying Baal, he's using another term called mammon. Now, mammon is a personification of wealth and stuff. That's what you're looking at. But it's not just a term. It's a personification of it. So think about it in that way. It's, it's an idol in its many faceted forms, but he says this, no one can serve two masters. So you're either laying up yourselves treasures on earth or you're laying up treasures in heaven. You're either looking to say I'm satisfied in the light or I'm looking to say I'm satisfied in everything else that is not light. And so when you're serving two masters, you have to, one, keep in mind that you're not desiring the things of the world. You're not desiring here where in that whole, you know, physical desires, the fleshly desires, but now you have these spiritual desires. And to be honest with you, there is too many people where their God is their wallets. Their God is their stuff. That is what they, they're, they're focused on, they're holding on to. 
They're saying, oh, my soul, I've got a lot of stuff, and I just need a little bit more. Let's hold on to the things that I have. And as we go through this, we're seeing here, he says, you cannot serve two masters. It's desiring God and only God. So he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other. So if you truly are loving God, guess what? Everything else is going to be hated. Everything else is going to be, I don't need this. I'm so satisfied with God. This is, this is okay. It is stuff. It is a tool, but it isn't amplified to a point that's over what it should be in my mind and in my heart. And that's really where an idol comes. It's something that we can have anything in our life and things can be good, but when it gets elevated above its natural position in God's word, and as far as you know, God being first and you can use this as a tool, once it elevates beyond that, it almost becomes to this point of idolatry. And so guard your mind, guard your heart with that. But he says, if you're going to, if you, if you hate the one and love the other, you're, you, you can't love them both. And so when the children of Israel initially loved the Lord and then they begin to pursue the Baal and what did they do with God? Well, all of a sudden they didn't love him like they did. And so there's this lessening of it. And as they draw closer to Baal, they wanted less and less to do with God. So there's a hatred of one, the love of another. You're loyal to one and you despise the other. And then he makes this statement, you can't have them both. You're either gonna serve one or you're gonna serve the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Understand that what happens is this. There is a point in so many Americans, we have that because we just have such a wealthy nation, that what happens is this. We actually begin to serve the wealth. We do everything we can to get more stuff. The, the things that I do, they're not designed for the kingdom. They're not designed to bring the lost in and, and share with the gospel. It's not designed to minister in that way. It's designed to accumulate stuff. And what happens is you honestly begin to serve the stuff and serve the stuff and serve the stuff. Think about it this way. When you get this car, eventually it's going to break down and then you got to do what? I got to fix it. I got to fix it. You get a house. I'm like, oh, it's a really nice house. But then something breaks down and I got to fix it. And then you get, you know, a cabin in the woods and all of a sudden something there breaks down. You got to fix that. There's always something because what? You have rust. You have moths. You've got thieves. Something's going to happen and you're going to have to do what? Once you have things, I got to put more into it and more into it and more into it. And the more things you have, the more things you put into it. Um, they, they say that building ownership is great until it comes to building maintenance. And it's a true statement. You know, we were so blessed when God provided, you know, the, the church that we're at. And, and we're so thankful. But with the church came building maintenance. It came things. And so God has really watched over us and protected us. But the, the more that we have, the more that we realize, oh, things can go wrong. Things can go wrong. And so... Um, as we're moving into this whole area of technology, we're finding out that technology is really good until it's not. <laughs> as soon as it's not, then you got to fix, you got to repair, you've got to always do an upgrade. And so it's one of those things where it's a catch-22, but you can't serve God and mammon. And so we were really blessed because the other day, if you were tuning in on a, on a I think it was a Wednesday, it could have been on a Sunday, 
everything, our, our whole internet system was down, our whole, we, we were unable to live stream, we weren't able to do anything. And the ones that were able to partake were the ones who actually showed up. Um, I've noted that my Bible has never crashed. It's, it's never had the blue page of death. It's never done that. I open it and I read it and God speaks to me. And so it's one of these things that's an old tool, I know. And pencils are old tools and I've used it in my notes. Um, but it's never crashed. Um, I had a, a friend of mine and he was kind of moving in and he thought I'm going to do my sermons on my, my sermons on my iPad and, and it was just a great tool and he would do it and he would do it and then came that faithful day where it just froze and so went his message and I was able to say wow I'm really sorry since my Bible has never frozen yet um, and but he still uses it so well, I can do it I can you know I can I can adapt I can work it so he now has a, a backup that he's able to go just in case but it's one of those things where that is what it is you can't serve God and mammon it's 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 one thing or another but eventually there comes a point where you just serve the stuff you serve the stuff it consumes your time it consumes who you are now in verse 25, therefore I say to you, now do not worry. He changes up gears, but he still has that same underlining things of desires. Now what happens is this. There comes a point where when you desire and it becomes a greater desire and a greater desire and a greater desire, it almost becomes a point where that desire becomes anxiety. And as it becomes anxiety, all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh you know, I'm, I'm just constantly, I, I can't let it go out of my head. I can't let it go out of my heart. There were um, probably um, a whole lot of Americans, I would say at least half of our nation, probably all of our nation at one point, was a little bit anxious when it came to election night. And there were some who could turn off their TV and let it go, and there were others who just couldn't let it go. And it was a desire, it was a desire, I wanna see my candidate you know, have more votes, I wanna see this. And, and, and it caused in a lot of people, not just this um, having a desire, but desire now amplified to a point of, of anxiety. And that anxiety now amplifies itself to the point of worry and concern and panic and all these other things that come. And this is what he says when he says, don't worry. So what happens is this, is that worry comes when the desires amplify to an anxiousness. That anxiousness comes up to the point of now it consumes me and I'm worried about this. It's, I'm just overwhelmed by these things couple of passages just to let you have as a foundational as we start this next section. The first is found in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. You guys know it well, but let me just simply read it to you. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I love it. He says, you don't have to be anxious. If you see the tallies going the wrong way to your candidate, you don't have to be anxious. You can literally say, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. 
And I think it's so important that when you're giving God thanks, God, I want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you that regardless of who here may be in charge of our country, you're on the throne and you saved me. You set your love upon me. You drew me. I'm yours. And I think it's important to realize that when it comes to this area of, of anxiousness, it's, it's really a catch. In 1 Peter, let me share this passage with you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it declares this, be sober, wait, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. When you have a concern, just give it to God. Just give it to God. Give it to God. This, this, is, this is a concern. I'm nervous. I'm worried. I'm going to give it to you. I don't, it's not mine anymore. I'm going to put it at the cross. And I'm not going to be anxious for it. I'm not going to be worried about it. I'm not going to be striving about it. I realize that you have this all in control. And the more I realize that he's in control, the more I realize that I don't have to worry about these other things um, because God has it completely in, you know, the realm of his authority. In Proverbs 12, verse 25, I want to read it to you. It begins this, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. And this is true that when your heart becomes anxious and it becomes anxious and it becomes to the point of worry, literally your countenance falls. But what happens is this. Here's the key. You just call up a brother, call up a sister, text me, and I'll tell you Jesus is on the throne. You go, oh, okay, we're good. We're good. You talk me off this cliff. I think I'm fine. But in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. It causes this whole thing where, where I, I, I find no joy, I find no peace, I find the thing because you're anxious. And, and it's because you don't have the peace in God that he's in control. You don't have that peace that God is, is dealing with everything that we need. And so when it comes to this, in verse 25, he deals with these three items. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. And now he gives it three things. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, we've already talked about the eating is the lust of the flesh, the drinking is the lust of the eyes, and what you'll put on, of course, is the pride of life. And so you're worried about these three things, and these are where the enemy will use these things, the world will use these things, our flesh will use these things. These three things, the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of life will draw me away from the Lord. But he says... What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? A couple of things I want to share with you. When it comes to this area of eating and drinking, um, there's a passage in the book of Exodus. And I want to read to you in Exodus chapter 16, just a couple of verses. And it opens up this. In Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse two through four, and then we jump down in verses 11 through 15. 
But in Exodus 16, beginning in verse 2, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They were longing for that joyous time in Egypt. They weren't thinking about the taskmasters. They weren't. Now, I don't know how often they had the pots of meat or the pots of the bread to the full. But this is what they said. Oh, I remember that. Oh, that's. Isn't that funny when we look back at the things of our life? We always forget the, the pain that was around it. We only look at the good things that, oh, I remember this. I remember that. Yeah, but remember when you party with your friends and then you had to wake up in the morning and go to work like, oh, I can't even open my eyes. But you had a great party. You remember the party. The enemy wants you to show you. Remember the party you had? They don't remember what happened after the party. And this is what happens is they were thinking back in Egypt. Oh, when we had, and I love this. They said in verse 3, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. So what does God do in verse 11? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel. So speak to them. At twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And so it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. And when the children saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. They were longing for the pots of meat. They were longing for the bread. And God said, what's bread and meat? I can supply it. <laughs> Here it is. You don't have to go pursuing it. I'll bring the quail to you. I'll bring the manna to you. And we'll keep the manna coming because that is me. That's Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. This is what I need you to know, that I'm going to be the one to supply your food every single day. And the blessing is that when it comes to the Sabbath, you don't go collecting, but the food that you collected the day before is a double portion. It will last for the Sabbath, but you can't do it on day two or day three, because if you try to save it, it's going to breed worms and stink. It's important that God is trying to show you. I'm telling you that I'm your provider on these things. So he says, don't worry about what you will eat. He also says, don't worry about you will, you will drink. And in Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, um, I want to start reading in verse 2 of Exodus 17. I'll read down through verse 6. And therefore the people contended with Moses, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said, why do you contend with me? And why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses. And they said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, well, go before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the rod with which you struck the river and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, 
and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So here we see that beautiful passage where here God begins to give them water to drink. And of course, then you know where um, Moses there in chapter 20, the children of Israel are thirsting for water again. And God says, oh, you go to the rock and this time speak to the rock. And this is where Moses gets really frustrated. He gets really upset. And he takes that rod. And he says, must we now, after he says, hear now your rules, must we give, bring water out of the rock? And of course, he strikes the rock and water comes out. But God says, oh, Moses, you blew the type. The first time that you're going to benefit from the rock, it has to be struck. Jesus Christ has to die. Um, he's the rock. He's what comes first. And then after the rock is struck, you don't have to strike it again. Not all you have to do is speak to the rock. Well, Moses blew that type, but I want you to see that God here, he gives them the food. He gives them the drink. And that's why he says, don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll drink. And he says, don't worry about um, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and body, more than clothing. When it comes to the area of that clothing, it's unique because we see so often when uh, in Peter's epistle, and I want to read to you just a portion of it. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel. The same thing with um Joseph's brothers, and he was, they were really upset because Joseph had that tunic of many colors. And they, they make that statement that they took his tunic and they took it off of him. And that tunic is what they covered in blood. And then they brought that tunic then to their father. So we begin to see here that it's that not the outward, not the outward, it's not the clothes. They wanted, they were very jealous of Joseph and his tunic. And so often we want that fine apparel. And what that is, once again, is when you're looking at what you'll put on, it's the pride of life. And so, you know, if you want a reference of Joseph and the tunic, it's found in Genesis 37, verses 3 and verse 23, where they, they, they strip him of that tunic. But it's important to note that what we see is this. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the drink. Don't worry about what you will put on. And he says now at the end of verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What is the most important thing? Is it food? Is it drink? Is it clothing? No, it's God. And the children of Israel had God and they, oh, I want the food and I want the clothing. I want the pots of meat. I want the bread. God said, I'll give you food. I'll give you the, the, the meat. I'll give you the bread. I want water. I'll give you the water. But what we really want is if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things are going to be added. And I think it's so important to realize that what happens is this, that within those three things, what we eat, the things of the flesh, what we um, drink. Um, and so that's going to be that um, the things of the eating. Let me get this right. Is the, the, the lust of the flesh. 
The things of the drinking is the lust of the eyes. I'm going to share with you that passage in Proverbs one more time, but I'm going to just read a little bit more. I'm actually going to read from verses 29 through 33, so you can see how that the, the things that you drink and the things of the eyes go side by side as the type. He says in verse 29, Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaints? In Proverbs 23, 29. Who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go and search for mixed wine, do not look at the wine when it is red and when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You're longing for drink. You're longing for drink. And your eyes are longing for that drink. And this is where we see those types beginning to overlay themselves. And so you can see that what he's dealing with is don't worry here about the lust of the flesh. Don't worry about the lust of the eyes. Don't worry about the pride of life. God. God is the one. And so you can, you can desire those things. But when you desire and desire, you're not satisfied in God, then that desire amps up and it becomes anxiousness. When anxiousness becomes full bore, it becomes worry. And of course, worry then begins to, with that anxiousness, begins to lead to depression. Because now you're grieving because I don't have that, I don't have that. And so Jesus begins to answer this in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. I want you to see the birds. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, I want you to see here that the birds themselves, and it's so important as God feeds them, God feeds them, God feeds them. You have to understand that what the birds do, and this is important, the birds, they're not worrying about what's going to eat, but they work. And I think it's so important to say that what I need to do is what God puts before me, I'm going to do it. What God puts before me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be constantly working. Now, it's the people who aren't working are the ones that are now worrying. What's this going to happen? But when you work, when you do the things and you're, you're realizing that, God, everything that I have is yours. I'm a steward of it. I want to be a faithful steward of what's yours. It's not mine. Um, so what you provide is what I have to work with. I'm not going to try to get more things that you haven't provided. And so we're careful about, you know, that we're not going into debt. We're not doing those things. But it's important to see here, he says, just look at the birds. The birds work and they work and they work. And as, as they constantly working, they're, they're constantly, he says, there's food here. You got to work for it, but there's always that food. And of course he says, if a man doesn't work, he shall not what? Shall not eat. So it's, it's that tie in here where the, the birds, you don't, they don't worry about the food. They work for the food, but God constantly supplies it. And then he asks this question in verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to his stature? He says, you can't change who you are by worrying. You can't say, oh, if I only did this, if I only did this. And, and, and I think what happens is this, where we're looking to, can we change who we are Physically. Um, in our day and age, it's a big thing. People want to change who they are physically. They, there are all kinds of clinics you can go to. You can have a nip here, a tuck there. You can have you know, this you know, liposuction now. You can change this. You can look younger. You can do all these things that you're doing. 
And, but what happens is they worry, they worry, they worry because that becomes what? Well, the things of the flesh. And, and it's like, I long for this. I need this rather than saying, okay, God, this is just who you made me. This is where, you know, I am. So as we're seeing this is, can you change by worrying? No, you can't. But what happens is when you seek the kingdom of God, you can find a contentment, whatever state that you're in, you're not worrying about these things anymore. So he just really points it out. You can't change who you are in the physical sense by worrying. Now in verse 28, he said, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Now he talks about these flowers that come up within the grass. And he says, and I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He said, do you want to see beauty? He said, understand that these flowers are beautiful. But what I love about the, the scripture teaching the beauty of us is what? The beauty of us is the inward, the gentle spirit, that quiet spirit. The, the, um, and that's the true beauty that God sees. And so, you know, you can change this outward beauty and outward beauty. But what he really wants is let it be an inward beauty. And how does that happen? You seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. God says, oh, I love that look on you. I love that heart in you. That's beautiful to me. And so where men look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And so when, when David was that young man and Samuel came, he said, oh, it's got to be, you know, the oldest brother. And God, no, no, God, it's not him. It's not him. Man looks at the outward appearance. God is looking at the heart. And he was looking at this young worshiper whose name was David. And so here we see that it's so true why do you worry, verse 28, about the clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. So he said that these flowers to God were more beautiful than any man-made garment. Why is that? I think because what God does in nature is beautiful. When you look at nature in itself and you realize how intricate it is and how beautiful it is and how the, the, the colors are just not one thing. And, and when you really begin to realize how things work and how things you know, grow and how things um, you know, uh, live and become beauty, you're in awe of it. Um, my, my wife has been doing orchids and she's realized these are the things that kill orchids. These are the things that help orchids. And, um, she's had where orchids should be losing its flower. She still has this one that is just hanging on, hanging on. And, and it's, it's amazing because she doesn't just look at the flower. She's looking at the soil. She's looking at the, the nutrients. She's looking at all these things that go into it. And there's more than just the outward beauty. But what happens is to the, the, the men and the clothes and the women, the clothes we wear, it's just an outward beauty. It's just an outward. And it's not, we don't work on the inside. And the real key to really wanting beautiful flowers is, well, you got to work on the soil. You got to work on the nutrients. You got to keep the mites out. You got to do all the right things. And, and when, when it's healthy, the inside is healthy, the beauty is going to shine. And it's, it's incredible to watch. But this is what he says. That these flowers are more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory. Now verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
It's one of those things where if you need clothing, God's going to supply clothing. God is just going to supply clothing. Um, I'm sure that if I got to the point where if we had a fire in the house and, and I said, hey, anyone have a shirt I could get? I could probably like, hey, you know what? I have a shirt, Lil. You, you could wear that. Just, just don't worry about it. It's an old shirt. And I would be like, wow, thanks. I got a shirt. I don't have to strive for it. I don't have to say, well, you know, someone's got to take me to Nordstrom's and let's get into the, the, the suit section. And, and, uh, um, and I love the heart of it. He says, I clothe the grass. I can provide for you. And so as much as he does, and the grass is here and then it's gone. He says, how much more? I love you more than these birds, more than the flowers, more than the grass. And then, of course, he, he makes that statement in the end of verse 30. Oh, you little faith. Why are you constantly pursuing these other things and not me? And I love it what the Lord says. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Because I think our pursuits are in so many other things. They're not really in him. It's not about, do I have just faith in this? Is, is my life faith? Is my life focused on him? And, and is my life looking to the internal and what he's doing through his word and through his spirit? And so in verse 31, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? Don't worry about these three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Focus on Jesus Christ. That's the heart. That's the key. And then he makes this statement, for after all these things, verse 32, the Gentiles seek, for the Heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. He knows what you have need of. Those are all secondary. See, he knows what you, what you need of on this temporary basis. But he also knows what you really need is something on the permanent basis. You need him. You need to be content in him. And that's why he then shifts over where in verse 32, after all these things, the Gentile seeks, for your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things. Those were the things where Esau, in his moment of contentment, I have enough, I have enough, he was able to say, oh, I'll take your sheep, thank you. I'll take all the goats. I'll take all the things you gave me. I'm good with that. And Jacob was like, God has blessed me. I don't need these things. Just go ahead and take them. He realized it was God. And then in verse 33, priorities. If you want a title for verse 33, just write priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. It's not just seek first the kingdom of God. But it's seeking his righteousness. It's seeking his truth. His rightness, His will, all those things that you realize is that the quality of God. And to say, I want to be in that place where, where your blessings are being poured out. I want to be in that place where your joy is found. I want to be seeking you and your righteousness. That's what I want. And then, of course, he says, and all these things will be added to you. There's a portion of the scripture, I just want to read it to you, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. It declares this, brother, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, this is the heart. He says, I, you know, I don't, count myself to, I've got this now, i got this. He says, I'm just pursuing Christ. 
I'm not like, oh, like that man who says, oh, my soul, you've done well. You've got many goods. He says, no, I'm just pursuing Christ. And I want to get closer to him and closer to him and closer to him. And so we see here, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added. You'll never attain to the things of the world. And that's perfect. Why? Because the world isn't what you want to attain to. You, you pursuing Christ and, and, and wanting Christ and only Christ, all the things that you need will be there. If you're always pursuing the things of the world, you're always going to be just a little behind, a little behind. Because even when you think you caught up, there's going to be a new one. There's going to be something more and there's going to be something better. And so, you know, all the people who, you know, were like, oh, I can't wait for the i12, the, the I, iPhone 12. And then it's like, oh, but what I really need is the iPhone 12 Pro. And then it's like, wait a second, no, iPhone 12 Max Pro. You know, it's always, and then there's going to be the iPhone 13 and the iPhone 20. And I, you know, where, where does it end? Well, it ends with Apple having your money. That's what it ends with. <laughs> and, and, but we see here, but this is, this is that heart. But those aren't the pursuits. If God says, I'm going to bless you with it, and then receive the blessing. But if it becomes, this is my goal, this is my life, you know, and, and there are literally, I've heard of phone plans that no matter what is the newest phone, you get that. You just, you, you just instantly get the newest phone, the newest phone, the newest phone is like, wow. I don't know how much they pay, pay for those plans, but I, you know, I'm sure they're not cheap. But seek first the kingdom, his righteousness, all these other things will be added. And then in verse 34, he closes it with this. Therefore, do not worry about, and he doesn't say food, he doesn't say drink, he doesn't say clothes. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. I love this. Have you ever noticed that the things that you think are going to happen tomorrow, that usually about 90% of them never happen? They never come up and they never, you know, we're always worrying about what's going to happen here, what's going to happen here. And, and uh, um, we're, we're always panicking about what is going to take place. It's interesting that right now in our nation that they were actually panicking four years ago what would happen when Trump came in. And the economy did well and they were thinking the economy is going to be, you know, crashing and and, you know, we're going to be in a war with Korea and war with Iran and war with this. And all of a sudden our economy is doing really well and we have Middle East peace. And, you know, and there's not been one war. And it's, it's amazing that, that ISIS has been taken down and all these things have happened. Now everyone in the world, what happens if Biden gets in? I'll tell you what, 80% of what we think is going to happen is going to happen. And, and so we looked at, well, maybe only 40%. But no, I don't mean to panic you. But we see here that it's, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about tomorrow. Live in today. And I think it's so important that if you're worried, oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Live in today. Walk with Jesus today. And then say, Lord, whatever you have for us tomorrow, I want to wake up and I want to, I want to seek your heart. Say, what do you have for us today, Lord? I want to live in the now. I want to be here with Jesus now. Because if you've ever noticed that if you're worried about tomorrow, you're not enjoying today. You're, you're depressed about what's going to happen tomorrow and you're anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow, but you're not enjoying today. Right now you have salvation. Right now, you have Jesus Christ on the throne. Right now, you have him wanting to speak through his word and speak to you through his spirit. And he wants you to gather together in this time of fellowship. 
and he wants you to, you know, come on that Saturday and enjoy this Thanksgiving feast that God's going to He wants those things. And, and so, but focus on today. He, he wants to come and, and, you know, and rather than thinking, oh, what's going to happen with the lawsuits? Well, what's going to happen tonight when I sit and I open the word of God? And God begins to say, seek first the kingdom. And I can receive that and I can believe that and I by faith have that. So it's so important just just live with Christ today. And tomorrow's going to take care of itself. Why? Because just like the children of Israel, he knows what you have needed even before you ask. He knew what they had needed. He'd already prepared the quail. He already prepared the, the, the water. He already prepared the manna. Every single day they would have what they needed. Every single day we're going to have what we need. But it's important to really keep our desires focused on, keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ is the main thing. He's what I pursue. And then all these other things, I'll be a steward of it, but they're only tools. Make sure that they don't become that priority you know, through that. So it's just a really good word. So if you were thinking that we were going to deal with wealth, sorry. Um, you know, when you look at it in this context, it really deals with the desires. And of course, the desires deals with the, the, the world, the flesh, the devil, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three. So through this next week, continue to chew on them. And then next week, we get into chapter 7. And you might not want to be here for that one. Because if you know, if, if, if tonight hasn't, you know, brought you into a, a, a good spot where you just have peace with God, um, it's going to be a, a, a doozy. So, but let's bow our hearts. Father, we do thank you for tonight. We thank you for now. And we're not worrying about next Monday when we get to chapter 7. We're not. We're looking forward to just being with you and hanging out with you this week and letting you just allow this word that you showed us tonight to ruminate in our heart and ruminate in our minds. We thank you so much, Lord, for what this is. Father, forgive us. Forgive us when we've had those areas where, even if it's momentary, where our desires begin to shift back to the things of the world. We do ask that you would be forefront in our mind and forefront in our heart, that you would be overwhelming us with you and your glory. Yes that our whole desire would to be come boldly to your throne of grace and to worship you. The veil was rent. We want this access and we want to come near and we want to worship you and just behold you. Where else are we going to go? <laughs> you are life and you are light and you are the bread and you are all these things that we need. You said, I am and you are. And so we're content in you. Continue to draw us in that mind. We ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.